You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Yes, we've been uh, examining and walking through Hebrews 11 over the summer. Many people have unpacked some very uh, key passages for us as we talk about uh, living faith. It's one thing to find faith in salvation. It's another thing to live it in our own individual lives. And we've had many biblical examples of that as we've been reading through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I believe it was Mark Twain who's credited with a saying that uh, there's nothing more irritating than a good example. There's some, a little bit of truth to that. Nothing more irritating than somebody who's a good example. And in your life, that may be your older sister. She was more compliant than you. She was a better student than you. She's more talented than you. And truth be told, her, your parents liked her better than you. Okay, get over it. Let's get on with life. Let's, let's go to the next step. Don't stop and get stuck there. So in this series in Hebrews 11, we've been looking at a lot of good examples, good examples of faith living from biblical history. So are those examples irritating to you or are they inspiring to you? Are they irritating because you just look at your life and says, I can't live like that. I can't. I'm overcome with circumstances and events and people. Or are those examples inspiring to you and saying, Lord, with you, I can learn and walk in in that way. We've been looking at uh, the heavy hitters in the Bible, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Jim Pinches, <laughs> Ian Lawson, Ian's in the house today. He's here to retire, that's what I've heard. Ian, I strongly recommend retirement. <laughs> it goes very well. This passage has also been referred to as God's Hall of Faith. God's Hall of Faith, people that walked and lived by faith, and God recognized it, and he recorded it so we could learn from it, not just to bore us, but that we could learn the lessons of who our God really is. These were all ordinary people doing extraordinary things by faith in God and him showing up. But I'd like to also point out this morning from Hebrews chapter 11 that that record records only the victories of these people. Have you noticed that? It doesn't record any of their flaws. It doesn't record any of their failures. You know why? Because this passage is about God, not the channels that he uses. This passage is about the God. He's the object of faith. He's the object of faith. He's the one doing the work. Take Abraham, for example. He gets the most ink in Hebrews 11 than anybody. But if you've read your Bible, which most of you have, you know that Abraham, on two occasions, lied. His wife was so beautiful. I know, men, you understand the problem. 
Your wife is so beautiful that when he went into a foreign country, he thought the king of that country would kill him and take his cute wife. So he lied and said, and this is my sister, isn't she cute? Well, he put Sarah in a rather difficult position a couple of times, his wife. God had to come along and rescue her. But Hebrews 11 doesn't talk about that. Doesn't talk about his failures or his flaws, and each of those individuals would have them. Hebrews 11 is a brief collection of these ordinary, flawed people who lived and displayed the power of God. And I truly believe that God gets more of the glory through flawed people. When he uses people like me or you who are flawed and fail, he looks good. We're just the... uh, Secondary characters in the story. People who follow God through Jesus Christ. But what is faith exactly and how can we live in it? Theologian, French theologian John Calvin, who was a pastor in the 1500s, defined faith this way. Faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed in our minds and sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you a second to memorize that. Now, let's go to a simpler definition, could we? Hebrews actually gives us the simpler definition in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. It gives us the definition. The New Living Translation says this in chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Would you notice the words in the translation? It's defining faith, describing faith, it's reality, it's evidence. It's seeing the reality of God, that he exists, and he's in our world. The NIV translates verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we have, what we have hope for and certain of what we do not see. Did you see the words there? Faith is certain. It's a dynamic certainty that God is at work. But if we went over to the New American Standard or the ESV translations, it says faith is the assurance, it's the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's great to read that verse in many translations because they use different words, but they're action words, and they're all accurate. Faith is the assurance, a solid conviction that God is keeping his word, that God is at work, that God exists. That's the definition that Hebrews 11 gives to us on faith. Now, the other side, let me just say as well, faith is not just a good feeling. I think I'm going to have a faith day today. I feel good. No, that's not living faith. Faith is not just optimism or a hunch. I got a hunch this is going to be a faith day. Faith is not just a hope-so attitude. I, I hope faith shows up today in my circumstances. No, that's not biblical faith. Faith is not blind. You hear that a lot. It's not, but it's not blind. In fact, it accurately sees more by walking and living by faith. Some people have referred to faith as the sixth sense. You know, we have five senses in our world. A sixth sense is faith because it sees the unseen. It sees the world of God and how he's at work within our lives. 
Biblical faith, then, by these definitions, is a reality. It is being sure. It is having confidence. It is based on evidence, and it's a conviction. Faith sees the unseen world of God at work. Every one of the translations talks about that, seeing the unseen, seeing what we can't see with the five senses, but adding a sixth sense to Jesus Christ, we see God at work, and we know he's up to something. There is an active spiritual order all around us today, and we trust in the unseen because it's the world of God. Let me paraphrase an illustration out of Scripture in the life of a prophet of Israel, Elisha. Uh, there was a war going on, and the Armenians were warring against Israel. And every time the king of the Armenians made a plan of how to catch up to Israel and defeat them, God would tell Elisha, the prophet, and the prophet would warn the military leaders, this is what's going to happen, be ready. Well, the king of the Armenians pretty got kind of tired of that, so he says, who's doing this? And they said, well, it's Elisha, the prophet, that guy, he's, he's doing it. God's telling him, and he's telling the military people. Well, let's get rid of him. So they massed a big army. They found out he was in a small place called Dothan. They sent the army down and said, get rid of him. Let's stop this. So on one morning in that little place, Elijah's uh, servant came out with the front porch to grab the Jerusalem Post newspaper and catch up on things. And there he looked up and he saw all this army ready to destroy them. He runs back into the house and says to Elijah, we're in big trouble. Elijah says, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. And he, Elijah prayed for that man. He says, God opened his eyes to the sixth sense. And he said, go look again. So he went back out the porch then. Yeah, the army was still there. But there was the host of God's army ready to intervene at the very command of God. That's living faith. Seeing and knowing the unseen, that God is on our side. And no matter what's coming and what the circumstances are, he is there and he's at work. That's why these examples are given to us. So let's look at today's stories of faith action. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, Rachel read for us, verse 29 and verse 30. And whenever Jeremy assigns you uh, one of these uh, passages, you wonder, is he, he's just, just trying to bug you or, you know, uh, is that, how come I can't do Abraham? How come I can't do, you know, one of the big guys? But these verses have really impacted my life in the last weeks as I've read them over and over. Verse 29, it was by faith the people of Israel went through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were drowned. Verse 30 is another example. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Now, this is change in the story in the sense that it isn't an individual story, say, about Abraham or Noah. It's a collective faith of the nation of Israel, the people of God. So there's a change in that sense. And there's two things I would like you to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. This is a call from God to walk away 
by faith from the slavery of the past. That's Egypt. God is saying, walk away. You're free. Leave it. Second thing I want you to hear this morning, we're going to unpack these two thoughts, is the call to kick down some walls that are holding you back and by faith claim the victory of what God wants for you in the future living now. I think these corporate examples give us those two illustrations. So let's unpack the first one from verse 29. We read Exodus 14 is the backstory of historically what took place. Verse 29 is just a quick blip in Scripture about uh, that event. So the courage of faith to walk away. Living faith encourages you to walk away from the past so you can experience the wonderful future of God today. This example of faith is a call to walk away from the past, to walk away from Egypt. Now, remember, when you read Egypt here, Egypt is the place of oppression. It's the place of violence. It's the place of injustice. It's the place of pain. That's what Egypt stands for, because for 400 years, they had suffered all of that. And God says, time to go. Leave it. I have more for you. So they're walking away from all that violence, that injustice and pain. But for many of you, that's a personal story as well. You're still walking away from the past. It's a call to walk into deliverance, to follow God in that way. Now, having read this context of Israel, the backstory, if you listen carefully or follow the words, the nation of Israel there in Exodus 14 isn't exactly a shining example of faith. Did you see the backstory? Well, how do they get mentioned in the hall of faith? Because Exodus 14 records that they were overwhelmed with fear. It paralyzed them. They couldn't move. The Egyptians are coming after them. The Red Sea is raging in front of them. There's nowhere to go. They're done. And they're overcome with fear. Loud complaining about, man, I think it was pretty nice living in slavery. You know what? The enemy always tells you it's okay to live in your slavery of your past because he doesn't want you experiencing the freedom of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the children of Israel said. Man, I think it might have been not too bad back there. They forgot how awful it was. But they went even as far, which has never happened since, but to accuse their leader, Moses. What were you thinking bringing us out here? Did you have a brain freeze? What's going on? Look what we're into right now. Well, they're mentioned by faith because I believe the faith of their leader Moses, his faith overcame their fear. His faith got through with all the complaining. His faith threw aside the accusations against himself. And he followed God, and they followed him. This leads us to a truth principle I think is really vital. One person's faith can be so authentic that it elevates the larger group to faith action. That's always true. One person, you, one person 
can make the difference in a given setting. One person in a family can actually turn that whole family in a new direction. One person in a church can do that. One person in a ministry in the church can do that. Authentic faith like that has great influence. I love the verse from uh, Exodus uh, 14. I, I think I wrote down 15, so I'm not sure I'll have the right uh, PowerPoint there. But it's actually verse 15. The Lord, Moses is uh, praying to God about all this complaining and all this trouble going on. But then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I love, that might be my new life verse. I change every other week. <laughs> Moses is doing the right thing. He's praying to God, crying out to God. God, do you see what I'm dealing with here? And God says, so what? What's the deal? Why are you crying out? Why are you praying to me? We've already outlined what we're going to do. Get going. Move, go forward. And that's always the call of God to us, brothers and sisters. Always the call of God. Don't stay there. Move. Step forward. In faith, believing that God is there. Time to put the foot in the water. Time to get going. Move out based on seeing the unseen. You see how relevant that part of that definition is? They hadn't seen the Red Sea part. But God says, go. I'll be ahead of you. I will do my part. They have the evidence of God's promise, being certain of what they could not see. They follow in faith their leader Moses. I love verse uh, 27 out of Hebrews 11 as well. Uh, will mentioned it last week in his uh, great teaching. Verse 27, I think, gives us a further insight in the kind of faith for Moses. Verse 11, 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who's invisible. Two vital things there. Moses moved out, not fearing the king's ang anger. That king was Pharaoh, the most pop powerful, ruthless individual politically that the world had ever known to that point. And Moses, I'm not going to be afraid of him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go because God has showed me. So who, who are you afraid of? What keeps you in, locked in the past of failures and sins? Who are you afraid of? Who's holding you back? Faith is not afraid because it's faith in God. But then there's that second part. Will pointed out last week. He, Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who's invisible. How are you doing in keeping your eyes on people who are invisible? Good luck, huh? How's that going for you? But that's a very definition of faith, keeping our eyes on the one who's invisible. That's the whole key of that definition we read from all those translations. Seeing the one who's unseen, seeing what he is doing, and staying with him. Not too late, much later here in Hebrews, we receive this same directive for our lives as a New Testament church. In a well-known verse in Hebrews 12, verse 2, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on the invisible. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I can't tell you anything more powerful than that and walking a life by faith and keeping your eyes on Jesus. And it takes work because a focus has a tendency to go all over the place. Bring it back. When I was in my second year at uh, Bible college, I was having a bad semester, a really bad semester. The classes were overwhelming. The jobs I had weren't working out. I missed my girlfriend like crazy. And I wandered into the bookstore at the, on the campus, picked up a little tiny New Testament and opened it up, and it opened up to Hebrews 12 too. And I bought that little testament, and I still have it because God spoke to me that morning. Tim, you got your eyes in the wrong place. Keep your eyes on me. I'm up to something. I'm going to do something. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So what is God calling us to do today from this faith example? Because it's recorded in Scripture. He could have left it out, but he recorded it. The children of Israel standing in front of the Red Sea. So the question is, uh, what's your Egypt today? What is your personal Egypt? What is your place of oppression, slavery, and pain that you just haven't walked away from in faith? What is keeping you a prisoner of the past? And today, the Scripture calls us to walk away through faith in God, seeing the invisible, invisible, seeing God who's ahead of us. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to say, I will choose to take that first step towards deliverance. You see, God will always do his part. He's calling us to do our part. And when they stepped into the water, Scripture says God sent an east wind and he divided this raging sea and they walked right through. Egyptians thought, oh, that's cool. Let's do that too. Didn't work out for them because they weren't doing it by faith. They still wanted to kill a bunch of people. Will you have the courage this morning to say, today is the day I get moving? Think about that because the Spirit's going to prompt you to answer that question to God. Let's look at the second point, which takes us to uh, Joshua and Jericho. This is the courage of faith to kick down some walls and take possession of God's promises. That's in verse 30. Backstories, Joshua chapter 6. But listen up. Now, this is still the nation of Israel, but it's 40 years later from the Red Sea. 40 years have passed. Moses is gone. The whole generation of adults who wouldn't believe God are gone except for Joseph, Joshua, and Caleb. Egypt is gone. Egypt is no longer chasing them. It's a different time. But now it's time for Canaan. Egypt is in the past. It's time for Canaan. Egypt was the past, and Canaan, friends, is always the future of what God has for us to walk into, not just walk away from. Egypt was the place of the slavery, violence, injustice, and pain. Canaan is the place of victory, freedom, blessing, and deliverance. Canaan is the place where we get to live and fight the fight of faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's the Canaan he's inviting us into as we follow him. So for the nation of Israel, it's time to step into the river again. This is the Jordan River on this occasion, on the other side of the desert. But there's a problem. Isn't there always a problem? Isn't there always an obstacle? This problem had a name. They named it Jericho. Massive, fortified city sitting right in front of the promises of God for the children of Israel. Now, God could have destroyed Jericho long before they got there, and they just got to walk right past. But he wanted them involved in that decision. Jericho was a massive, fortified city, standing right in the way. It was a huge obstacle to the promises of God being claimed in their lives. We're told that the walls of Jericho were so massive that they could drive two chariots across the wall. And here the children of Israel run into that right away. Jericho was that first challenge, first obstacle. And from a human perspective, it, it was impossible for them to take that fortified city. It was an impossible task for this ragtag multitude of ex-slaves who'd lived their whole life in the desert. They weren't really much of a military. As far as I know, manna was not exactly the breakfast of champions. When I was growing up, it was Wheaties. I think it still is. I haven't checked lately. But it wasn't manna, but that's what they had spent eating for the last 40 years. So here they are, years before the spies had, that Moses had sent out originally had a fairly accurate account recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their own towns are large with walls rising to the sky or to the very heavens. And we even saw giants there. That's the report. It was pretty accurate that they brought back to Moses years before. Number one, their people are taller than we are. Strike one. They're more powerful than we are. Strike two. Their walls and their fortified cities are impossible to breach. Strike three. Oh, and we saw giants too. Strike four. You're done. They looked at that and said, we cannot do that. So facing this fortified city, what is the plan? They turned to Mo What's the plan, Moses? What's God told you? Well, fortunately for Moses, God had texted him the plan. So he knew what it was. That's the plan we read from Joshua. Let's just read a part of that. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. Done deal. It's king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of, with, of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with your priest blowing the ram's horn. And when you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and you as the people can charge straight into the town. That'll work, right? What? That's the plan? Is that all God has? That's the plan? 
There's only one word for this plan, and that's absurd. Absolutely absurd that that is the strategy that's going to. I'm sure you could ask Captain Luke later. I'm sure that plan is in all the military books that have ever been written since, you know. But that was God's plan. It was God's strategy. We all know that you conquer force by more force, right? We all know that. You need bombardments. You need ladders. You need ropes. You need archery teams. You need swords. You need battery rams. That's what you need to conquer fortified cities. We've all seen enough of the Lord of the Ring movies to know how to conquer a fortified city. We know how to do that. But marching around it without a word, expecting the walls to fall down, nobody had thought of that great strategy before. But that's what God spoke. But verse 30 in Hebrews 11 tells us those walls fell by faith. Not by their effort, by faith. God said he would do it. And they have to march not seeing what's coming, but trust what God has told them, and it will take place. Follow the Lord, follow his instructions, and do it in obedience. And the Lord says, I will do my part. By faith, by seeing the unseen, by being sure of God's commands and having confidence in a big God, the walls fell. And Israel won a, won a great battle right away. You see, the focal point of faith is not faith. The focal point of faith is the person and presence of God. Is he with you? Then you got a great place to place your faith. Faith knows that God is with me. Faith knows that he is near. Faith knows that he is active. And we even see that in Joshua chapter 6 because the presence of God was symbolized by the ark. If you read all of Joshua 6, it's nine or ten times the ark is mentioned. The ark was with them. It's estimated it took them 20 minutes to go around the city. The last day they went around seven times, so you do the math. But the ark was with them. The presence of God was with them. And that's true of us. God has promised that. He is active and he's at work. You see, the strategy for uh, Jericho was useless. <laughs> Absolutely useless unless God showed up. You may be in that place this morning. Uh, there's not a chance unless God shows up. Well, guess what? He will show up. That's living by faith. So here's my question to you this morning. Is your God big enough? Is your God that you serve big enough? Is he big enough for what you are facing? Most of us aren't going to have to take down Jericho, but we have some major obstacles in our lives blocking us from living the faith in Canaan freely in Jesus Christ. Let me say a further word about this absurd strategy of God because this isn't the last time that shows up. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that when he's talking about our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed into destruction, but to we who are being saved knows the very power of God. 
The salvation we claim and like to talk about is foolishness. Unless God shows up with his plan and his strategy, it's way different than ours. What's the message of the cross? Well, here's God in heaven. He's with his son, full deity son, Jesus. He sends his son to be born through a young virgin woman in an insignificant town in Bethlehem. That son is trained as a carpenter by his father. That son then at 30 years of age goes out into the world and brings the message of the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of God and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Turns the world upside down. But guess what? Some of the elite people didn't really like the message because it messed up their agenda, so they hated him. And they put him on a cross and they killed him because of what he stood for and what he said. He said he would go to that cross and take our sin bring us freedom in Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's foolishness to those who do not know God and Jesus. But rather than foolishness, maybe it's amazing grace of God. Maybe it's something different. And that is certainly the apostle's point. But Jesus himself messes with your mind a little bit when he talks about these things from the Word of God as well. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Amen and amen. But Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for the people who persecute you. Are you serious? I'm supposed to pray for the person who's hurt me? I'm supposed to love people that should be my enemy? That's pretty radical, don't you think? It's so radical, it's absolutely godlike, because that's how God has treated us and dying for our sin and bringing us into the family of God. Friends, you already know this, but God's ways are so different than our ways. Always have been, always will be. Israel is a marvelous example of that in this passage in Hebrews 11. And it requires faith, courage to follow God's strategies, to follow God's ways, because they may appear foolish, they may appear absurd, but when God gives us his promises, we can march boldly into those promises. Hey, anybody want to kick down some walls today? I tried to get them to build me a wall I could kick down, but they were afraid I'd hurt myself. <laughs> which is probably very true. Um, here's my question for you. It's going to be on the screen. It's a fill-in. I love fill-in questions. Jericho in my life today is fill-in-the-blank. And the first thing the Holy Spirit brought to your mind two seconds ago is probably the answer. It's probably the answer. What's the obstacle What's blocking me from walking in all that God has for me in Jesus Christ today? Is it an event? Something you had no control of, but it happened in your life? Is that blocking you from moving forward? Is it a person who wounded you, hurts you? Is that blocking you today? Is it a circumstance, a false belief? Well, friends, it's got to go down. We can never walk to the future about all that God has planned for us until we kick down some walls. 
Some obstacles have got to go. So let's ask this question. So what? Nice old, old, old stories from the Scripture. We live in 2023. I'm dealing with inflation, interest rates, racism, crime, broken relationships, political overreach, health crisis, artificial intelligence, and immorality on steroids. Those are my problems today. How do I walk and live in faith? Yes, our world is different. But I want to say one thing to you this morning. One thing is the same. Guess what it is? Our God is the same. He's the same as what they faced Red Sea. He's the same as they faced crossing the Jordan to take the future promises of God. However, I would offer that that's the one thing we must grasp and learn from today. Today, you are standing in your life right on the edge of the Red Sea. You're trapped. You are trapped. Just as the nation of Israel was thousands of years ago, Egypt's bearing down on you, your past sins, your accusations, your pain, slavery. They just keep coming in waves after you. And you're trapped because there's a raging sea in front of you. What needs to be left behind today as you walk out of Egypt? Subtle addictions, shame, failures, your fears, the addictions, the unbelief that comes into our lives. The oppression of Egypt, and remember, Egypt is the past. Egypt is the place of a pain and oppression. But the oppression of Egypt will destroy your marriage. It will lead us into depression. It will force us into the constant life of spiritual wilderness in our life, not connecting with God. It will keep us as prisoners of our wounds and our past. But you have to walk away. That's the invitation of God. Walk away. I'm done. Satan's word is always, someday I'm going to take care of that. Someday I'm going to deal with that. That's a lie. Satan would love you to believe that. God's word, even here in Hebrews, read chapter 3 later today. God's word is always today is the day. Today, will you step out in faith in the person of God and his promises and the cross, the frightening sea? That's the question of this passage of Scripture. Are you going to walk away? You have to decide that. I can't create it for you. So today you're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And I'd say today as well, you're standing in front of the walls of your own Jericho. These walls are holding you back from a wonderful freedom, new life that Jesus has planned for every one of us who've come into the faith, but we can't live the faith because we keep banging our faces into the same wall. It's time to kick down those walls. It's by faith in the presence of God that he's up to something in our individual lives. It's time to shout. Did you notice in that passage? I wish they had recorded what they shouted. That would be cool. I could make T-shirts. But it doesn't tell, it doesn't tell us what they shouted. What did they shout? Enough? 
Wall fall down? I don't know what they shouted. The Lord Jehovah? It doesn't tell us what they shouted. But it was a powerful declaration. In fact, as I've looked at that, this is what I think. The shout of the nation of Israel standing outside Jericho was the outward expression of their inward confidence of the delivering power of God. They shouted, but it came from in here. Faith in God. God said he was going to do something. His strategy. I don't understand it, but I'll just do what he tells me to do and watch God move. So what's your personal shout today? Don't shout. You know, you'll, you'll disturb the whole neighborhood. But what's your personal shout? History records, I would say, the greatest shout ever given on earth. When Jesus was hanging on a Roman death cross and he was dying for my sin and yours. And he was in pain and he shouted out on that cross, it is finished. It's done. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that's the foundation for taking admonitions like this from the nation of Israel, imperfect as they were, and learning that our God is the same. It's finished so that you could start today with new freedom by walking away, walking into what God has. We have a response song that our worship team, and I invite the worship team to come that invites us to say yes to God this morning. It's uh, really taken off a powerful scripture. The song is entitled, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. That's true. It isn't you. Christ in you is amazing, and it's freeing, and there's so much that can go with that. Let's stand as we worship with that song. Our prayer teams will be up here. Please come. Maybe there's somebody in the audience you need to go to and ask them to confirm you and say, hey, I'm walking away today, but I need somebody to be with me. Go to them. They'll do that with you. But act, take action. Talk with God. It's our response to him. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.